we lose sight because of three reasons. I want to give you three areas. One, oftentimes we start in ministry, and what happens in ministry is this. We begin to use our wisdom. God starts us, but then we begin to lean on our wisdom rather than His wisdom. We begin to separate ourselves a little bit as we travel in ministry. We begin to separate ourselves from God. And that's our, one of our failures. Because something's going well, we begin to really use our own wisdom and our own thinking about it. Rather than really continuing to seek God's wisdom and ask Him for wisdom in it. Secondly, one of the biggest failures for us is that we begin to lean on our own strength. We trust our own financial abilities. We trust in what we're able to do. And that's one of those areas that lead us to an area of failure also. That whole process is that we have to depend on the wisdom and the strength of God. And thirdly, that voice of the Holy Spirit. That voice of the Holy Spirit. That one who will direct our steps. That one who will appoint us to every little detail that needs to take place. That one who speaks on behalf of God. Turn to Deuteronomy Chapter 12, is it? Let me see. Chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4. I'm quite sure you've read it quite often. Go to verse 12. We are a people who are desperately in need of God. Desperately in need of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And oftentimes we don't recognize our own starvation. Our hunger for Him. Now I'm quite sure you've read this, but look at it with me anew in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. You saw no bodily form. But you heard this voice, but no form. In your mind, you're going to hear a couple of voices. And you have to begin to determine who's speaking. You're going to hear the voice of yourself in your consciousness, arguing with yourself. You're going to hear the voice of Satan and demons because the scriptures in Timothy said that demons teach. You're going to hear that voice of that spiritual world of demonicness, 
saying what you can't do or your failures in it or bringing up your past or this is too hard. You're going to hear that voice. Then you're going to hear the voice of friends because friends always want to rush in and give you their advice and tell you what you ought to do and what you should do. And then you're going to hear that still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. No form, no body, but that voice that will speak. And what we have done in our Christian life, we have voided that voice. And we don't hear from the Holy Spirit. So when we get into the book of Galatians, and turn to Galatians with me, chapter 5, it's very hard for us to detect this characteristic of the Holy Spirit. When it speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. And again, they are different from Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are in 12 Romans 12 are the administrative gifts, so forth. And then when you get into 1 Corinthians 12, the body gifts that are used for each other. But when you get here, it talks about one gift, really, the fruit of the Spirit. It is how the Spirit himself is going to reveal himself through your life in ministry to others. Last week, as we covered, the first fruit was love. There's nine of them, but the first one was love. You cannot begin to minister to people unless you have a great love for people. Now understand, a social worker has a great humanistic love for people. They want to see people do better. They want to see people improve. They want to see people get up and really get beyond their circumstances. They want to help people. Now, in similar ways, Christians want to do the same thing. We want to see people live better. The scripture says this, step up to a higher plane. We want to see them leave an earthly plane to a spiritual plane. So we do want to see them do better. We want to see them be overcomers because the scripture says what? We are overcomers of whatever our problems and our situations are. We want to see an improvement in that person's life. That they're not just drugging through every day, but they're living an abundant life in the Spirit of God. But the difference is, our love is not a humanistic love. Our love is an agape love. With the agape love... Which oftentimes in ministry we forget. People are going to fail often. From the human side, we're going to let you have three strikeouts. And then you're out. But the Lord Jesus said, seven times what? Yeah. You keep failing till you get it right. Sometime when... I'm talking with men or with women, and especially in the area of getting ready to get married the third or fourth time. Only thing I can say to them is this. What the evidence is this. You didn't do it God's way the first one, two, or the third time. Are you ready to do it God's way? What we, un- what we understand about divorce is this. It's just failure from doing it God's way. We need to understand that. Amen. 
Somebody fell from really living out biblical principles. And today with over 51% of Christianity going into divorce court, that is taking place more and more. We, we're, we're, we're sitting under the word, we're hearing the word, but we're not allowing the word to go from heart to mind into everyday practice. So the first thing he says in that verse 22 of chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and we covered that last week, and then this week he says joy. 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 Joy is something that the world can't give to you. The world can allow you to be happy in situations and in moments, but joy is something totally different. Joy comes through a relationship and knowing the presence of the living God. That's what real joy comes from. Joy comes from the presence of being in the presence of God. Now, I want to break this down very clear to you. In ministry, it may not always be joyful in ministry. There's a lot of hurts and a lot of pains in ministry. The joy in ministry is seeing God function and God work. That's the joy. That overcomes all the difficulties, the budget shortness, or anything else that takes place that disappoints you. The real joy is realizing the very presence of God and God at work in that ministry. That's the joy that you discover. Because what you're discovering is this. God himself, his presence at work in that situation. And it's the joy of God. It's the joy of the living God that you're discovering then. And what you do, you rejoice because of the presence of God. You're rejoicing because of the deeds and the work of God. You're, de- you're, you're there joining His presence because at that moment in which God's presence is there, understand this, you cease your labor and your work. <laughs> and you just rejoice in Him. And you're able to see him. It is the presence of God that brings joy. We're so busy in living today. And we're so busy in running after things and doing things and the things of this world. We're so busy. The Eastern world does have it over us in some ways. They take time at least to meditate. They take time, is what some say, to clear their minds. They take time to quiet themselves. As Christians, when's the last time you sat and quiet yourself and let that inner voice in you say, Lord, speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. And just sit there and wait on him. Just sit there and wait on him. Lord, I long for you. Lord, I long for your presence. Lord, I want to know you. I want to hear from you. Lord, speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. And just be quiet. And see what happens. Give him two, three minutes. You know that little glass thing you used to play with where you would 
turn it over and the sand run down. Get one of those things. God, you got this much time now. <laughs> but you're ready to hear from him. You want to know his presence and see what happens to you when you realize his presence. Go to Leviticus chapter 9 with me. We're not going to be able to hit all these verses, but we're going to hit as many as we can. Leviticus 9. And, and what I want you to take note of is the people and their rejoicing. Pick up with me in verse 23. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meetings. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now, pause for a moment, because sometimes we run so fast. Moses and Aaron came out. They went through their religious thing, and they did their thing, and they prayed, and they blessed the people. But the real worship didn't start until when? The Lord showed up. <laughs> and it says, The Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. Now look what happens. And when all the people saw it, catch it now, when they saw it, when they saw it, when's the last time you've seen God do anything? When's the last time you've seen God do something and when you know that He's done it, you rejoiced? Hey. Because you know He did it. They knew Moses couldn't do what happened. They knew Aaron couldn't do it. But God showed up, not in a bodily form, but they knew his presence was there. He consumed the sacrifice. They saw the fire, saw the consumption. And at that moment, they knew the presence of God. And then it says, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. The joy was there. Why? They knew the presence of God was there. And he says, and when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. They didn't just fall to their knees. They prostrated. They're down on the ground. And it says, they shouted for joy. First Chronicles 29. Again, just getting a good picture of, uh, of looking at God. And seeing him and, uh, and understanding the presence of God. Your busyness and sometimes the rushing of your life. And, and, and let me share this with you too. Sometimes even what you've been taught blocks out God because you got God so much in a box and God will blow that box up. But you can't get out the box. And God is much, much more than your box. 
And the only thing God is asking for us to do is let Him be God in our lives. Not to restrict Him so much. But let Him be who He is in our lives. When we look at verse 20, in chapter 29, it says, Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. Nothing happened that day. But we're going through all the praise. We're going through all the religious things. We are praising him. And that's good. That's good. Understand something. Every time you pray, every time you meet, every time the presence of God may not be quite revealed every time you show up. But somewhere in your life, God should show up, shouldn't he? Somewhere in your life, you should know it was God that did this. Somewhere in your life, you ought to know God, boy. Dr. Remus, back in 2001, 2002, when I was going through cancer, she came into the room and she said, Pastor Brown, unless we get a breakthrough tonight over there, we're going to be in serious problems. And my prayer to the Lord was, Lord, what is your will for my life? And me and the Lord just talked most of that night. And she came in early that next morning, did her test and did everything that she needed to do. And she said, boy, we got a breakthrough here somewhere because something's changed. When my son Gus was in the hospital, Gus had been unconscious for about a week and a half. He had cockomeningitis. And Elaine and I prayed one day at home. And we finally just got to the point, Lord, if you want Gus, you go ahead and take him. He's yours. You know. Well, we went into the hospital. Elaine is standing over his bed. And Gus woke up and said, Hi, Mom! And went right back into the coma. And then we said, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we started witnessing to the nursing down there. And some of the nurses met the Lord. Uh, they took Gus to Chicago. Uh, a young girl who wouldn't eat nothing but spinach and biscuits. Uh, they gave him a little tricycle that he could ride into people's rooms and, and so forth. And a little Spanish boy had brain surgery and so forth. Anyhow, we were able to start ministering to this whole group on that floor. We even bought Spanish Bibles because some of them couldn't speak. And he didn't know really what he was doing, but he got that little girl who wouldn't eat nothing but spinach and biscuits to eat something else. No. The whole process, God, what are you doing? And then see God work. Then see God work. Then see God work. It's knowing his presence Knowing his presence. Sometimes in my basement, in my study, it's just me and the Lord. And I get to crying because the joy is just overwhelming. 
is overwhelming. And they're worshiping. And they're doing. But look what takes place. And I like the way the Holy Spirit does scripture sometimes. Because he takes you from this day to the next day. So he says, boy, yeah, they fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. But then in verse 21 it says, the next day. So this took day the day previously. This is a whole new day now. But look what takes place. The next day they made sacrifices to the Lord. And presented burnt offerings to him. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand a male lamb together with their drink offering and other sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank with great joy. Now look at what the scripture says. In the presence of the Lord that day. That day. His presence didn't come the day before per se. Now that is not to say God's not there per se. But they didn't recognize that he was there. But the next day God said, I'm here. And guess what? They knew his presence. They knew his presence. When's the last time you have known the presence of God? The presence of God. See, God wants to really meet with us each individually. And he wants you to know him individually. He wants you in a relationship with him. And he wants you to know his presence. Because the presence is the joy. For it is the joy of the Lord that is my what? Strength. That when whatever I'm going through, if I can sense the presence of God, I don't care how hard it is, what difficulties I may have to face, there is a joy in me that the world then cannot understand. And it's that joy that gives me hope and strength. In Luke 1, 44, you don't have to turn to it per se, but remember what happened with Mary and Elizabeth? When Mary approached Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, John, the baby in her womb, did what? Leaped for joy, jumped for joy. Why? The presence of the living God. The presence of the living God. When you get to a place that you really know his presence, he takes away the stress. He takes away all the burden. He takes away the trouble. Because you're rejoicing in God. That doesn't mean you still don't have to deal with the problems. You still don't have to deal with issues of life. But there's an inner joy that you cannot be conquered by the enemy. And understand, Satan cannot duplicate this joy. For it flows from the very throne of God. It's being in the presence of God. And Acts 2.26, fill me with your joy in your presence. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your joy in your presence. And that's where we receive joy. Joy is not in the ministry itself, but it's discovering the work of God in the midst of the ministry. It's discovering God in the midst of my problem. It's discovering God in the midst of my difficulties. It's discovering God in the midst of my sicknesses. It's discovering God. When I went through cancer, I, I, boy, the Lord taught me something to say, not to say. Why not me? 
Because when I when I was there complaining, I said, Lord, why me? Why me? The voice made it so clear. Why not you? Why would I want to wish it on somebody else? It's part of life. And this is where then the believer comes up and really be able to say, God's grace is what? Sufficient for me. No matter what I'm going through, I can still rejoice in my Lord. Why? He's my hope. He's my hope. Our joy is the work of the Lord through us by the Holy Spirit. The joy in the work of the Lord. If you're witnessing, if you're sharing Christ, you're living this Christian life. That's a work. And sometimes we think, boy, I'm not really living this Christian life. The thing is, it's not how much your mouth runs. It's the thing of how you're living and what you're doing. Because people are watching you. And Paul says that you are our written epistles, read by men. What are they reading? They're reading your life more than what they're hearing from you. They're reading your life. They're watching what you do. They're watching your mannerism. They're watching your behavior. They're watching you. The hope that you display. What you really believe. Do you live what you say you believe? They're watching you. The sad part about Christians today, you never hear us say, unbelievers are hypocrites. That's the only place you hear it. Believers, because we're saying one thing, doing what? That unbeliever is still doing what the unbeliever does. But the Christian needs to be about God's business, doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Psalms 92. Because what we have to understand is that we look at the work of what God is doing. And when we can get caught into that work, and we see the work... And see the deeds of God and how God is doing this and doing that. There's a joy there. There's a joy there. He starts in verse 4. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hand. I, I, I sing. When this church in this younger age... The Lord just blessed. When we first purchased the house up front, really didn't have all the money for it, but boy, the small group that was there prayed. One hadn't been heard of. We took over a VA loan on this property. So the government financed the church. But we assumed a VA loan. Some other churches came alongside us and gave us $18,000 for a down payment. Praise the Lord. The Lord's at work. Then, boy, we got a chance to buy some another two acres next door, two and a half acres. And, and boy, we couldn't because we had this here still yet. We had a burden. But then somebody stepped up outside of this church, outside the community, and said, I'll write you a check for $40,000 that will pay off this debt that you can go ahead over there. 
And you see God work. You see God work. You see God work in the lives of people. I'll never forget what Roger said one time. We're like a hospital with a revolving door. We get people well, and then they go somewhere else. We get people, well, maybe that's our ministry. Maybe that's what we do. And that's all right. If that's God's purpose for us, that's fine. Because he said, you know, we should be over 500, 700 people strong. But look how many people we got in other churches doing this or doing that. Fine. If God used us to get them well and build up in the faith, and they go, fine. See, the, the issue is this here. Do we see what God's doing? And the psalmist says, Oh, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord, by your work, Lord. I'm rejoicing over your what? Over your works, what you're doing. He goes on and he says, I sing for joy at the works of your hand. Now, you couldn't sing for joy for the works of God's hand if you couldn't see God, what? Work. And you know it's beyond human ability. But you're, but you're praising Him because you know this is something His hand did. You're able to see the results of it. You didn't see any form. You didn't see Him, per se, but you saw the results of his work that nobody else could have done but the living God. And he says, I rejoice in that. I rejoice over your deeds. I rejoice over your works. I rejoice because the evidence of your work. And he goes on and says, How great are your works, O Lord! How profound are your thoughts! The senseless man does not know the fool do not understand. And the fool stands back and say, Oh, that was luck. It's the fool that stands back and says, Oh, that just happened just by chance. No, it was God at work. God at work. In the Christian life, there is no such thing as luck. It's God at work. And we rejoice in it. And we rejoice in it. The word there... When he says glad, is to brighten up, cheer up, or to cause one to be joyful. That we rejoice in the things of the Lord. In Psalms 118, and remember, this joy comes from the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we need to recognize, it doesn't come from man. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. This has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in your life that causes you to really rejoice in the Lord. And, in, and when you rejoice in the Lord, you have hope in the Lord. When you rejoice in the Lord, you're trusting the Lord. When you are rejoicing in the Lord, it is the evidence that you see that God is working in your life. I don't care how hard it is, what difficulties there might be, that you can really put your finger on it and say, this is God's presence. In my life. Because this is what God has done. And no man has done it. But God's done it. 13 through 17 in Psalms 118. He says, I was pushed back and about to fall. Now, now this is one of the ones you need to understand. Underline. He says, boy, the enemy has pushed me back. And I'm about ready to fall. 
And he goes on and he says, but the Lord helped me. How many of you could testify, God has helped you? Hey. And when he helps, how do you respond? Is there a release that takes place? But with the release, there's also a joy that takes place? Sometimes we're trying to handle two emotions at the same time. But he says, when I was just about ready to fail, when I'm about ready to fail, what's there? There's the fear there. There's the helplessness there. There's the lostness there. Then all of a sudden, God rushed in and helped me. There's the confidence now that comes in. There's the hope that becomes a reality. And then a courageousness comes about us. I can get through this. And then there's a joy. And he goes on and he says, The Lord is my strength. Isn't that amazing? Right after, I, I understand I didn't fall. I understand it wasn't by whose strength? My own. And see, as Christians, that's what we got to get to the point to confess. Lord, this is not something of me. This is something of you. You've done this. You've helped me to stand. You've helped me to overcome. This is not something I've done in my own strength. This is something that you have done. And when you give him thanks and thankfulness, there's a joy in you. And he goes on and he says from that point, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy. Now he's not just saying, joy, joy. This guy is shouting the joy that he is experiencing. He's excited. He's exhilarated because of this joy of the work of the Holy Spirit in him. That comes from God. And he goes on, he says, shouts of joy and victory. Isn't that something? Look what God ties together here. His problem was, he's about ready to fall. He can't help himself. He can't lift himself up. He can't do anything for himself. But he's ready to fall flat on his back, flat on his face. He's ready to fall. And all of a sudden, God rushes in, holds him up straight. Stabilizes him. Keeps him. From that great fall that he was about ready to experience. And he confessed, this is not of my strength. This is not of my doing. And he recognized, it's God. And there's a joy that rushes in. And then from that, he recognized, boy, I got victory from whatever that was that was pushing me, trying to cause me to fall. I got victory over it. And the joy that just fills him. He says, Shout of joy and victory resounded in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. There it is again. The Lord's right hand has done what? The presence of God has done great things. The Lord's 
right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Oh, who sits at the right hand of God? The Lord Jesus Christ. It done some mighty things. Done some mighty things. Now, remember in Luke ten seventeen, the Lord sent his seventy two out. He sent these individuals out in Luke ten. Turn there with me. And he told them not to take anything with them, all the stuff and so forth. And yet they go out and they're going to experience something. And they come back rejoicing. He says in that verse 17, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Follow with me in thought. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ training his disciples. He sends them out into an unbelieving world to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach his word. How can I illustrate this? He sends them. Now the question I want to ask you is this. Does he stay put or does he go with them? Now catch what the scripture says. That even the demons obeyed your name. There, there's not one demon scared of you. There's not one demon scared of us. Remember when you was a youngster or a young lady? How many of you had brothers and sisters older? And in school? See, the thing about me being in school, there was 14 of us, 11 boys. Hey. And, and sometime, boy, somebody going to call themselves getting in a fight with me. What they didn't recognize was three of my bigger brothers right back in, behind me. Hey. And they're going to wolf and they're going to do, do this and do that. But when them three brothers stepped up, the whole thing changed. Now, he sent them out. He stayed here. But what I want you to realize is, he went with them. So when that demon saw that disciple, they just didn't see that disciple. They saw who? Yeah. Yeah. When he sends us, he goes with us. For the scripture says we are co-labors with him. He never sends us anywhere to do anything for him on our own. But he tells us that he's always with us and he's an ever-present helper. Because there's not a demon in hell that's scared of God, Brian. I could say anything. Wouldn't move anything. But in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and him standing right here, it has to move. And, and, and it says they came back rejoicing. 
How many of you find joy in the power of the name of Jesus? We have to rediscover that. That the name of Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. And every demon in hell will tremble over that name that is above every name. But we rejoice in it. We rejoice in it. We rejoice in it. And it says, boy, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, he didn't want them to get caught just in their so-called power because today we have Christians who get caught where at in their abilities or their gift or their power or their this. He does never want us to be rejoicing in our power because the reality is not ours, it's the Holy Spirit's. So he goes on, he says, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which he's trying to share to us. You can fall very what? Very quickly. Lord, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to triumph over snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Don't rejoice in some kind of power that you assume that you have. Remember what I shared last week? The gifts in Romans 12, the gifts in 1 Corinthians, they're not so much your gifts as they are the gifts of who? The Holy Spirit. Though He manifests them through you, they are His. You're only a vessel being used. You're only a vessel being used. And the character of that joy is of the Holy Spirit from the very throne of God that excites your heart about God. Not the power that you display. Not that you stood. Or not that you resisted this. Or you were able to go through this. No. It's not about you. It's about Him. And you're rejoicing over what God has done through you. In John 15, 9, 11, we're not going to hit it. Don't have to turn to it because we're going to move a little quicker. Is that I want, I want you to really understand about this. Obedience will always bring joy. Disobedience always brings discipline, not joy. But when you are obedient to God, and that's the only thing the Christian has to ask himself, am I living an obedient life for God? Now, however God wants to use me is something else then. The question is, am I obedient to God? Because in the obedience comes the joy. The last point is simply this. Jesus wants us to have his joy. Jesus really wants us to have his joy. In John 17, 13, in the Lord's Prayer, which is really the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is praying to the Father. The issue boils down to this here. The joy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was in his obedience to God. In the obedience, the Father was always there with him, never separated from him. 
you and I, as we learn obedience, we learn also the joy of the Lord. So in John 17, verse 13, he says, I am coming to you, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy. What is he praying? That we would have the full measure of his joy. How do you have joy on the cross? How do you have joy in a time of suffering? Hebrews 12 says, looking beyond what he suffered, he saw the joy. What he was looking at was me and you and others down through the century. Though he would suffer on that cross and die on our behalf, it was not about that single moment in life. And sometimes we wrap all of our life up into one moment, and it's not about that single moment. It's getting beyond that. Being rejected and spit on. Was that joyful? Being beaten, was that joyful? But yet, because of a relationship, there was joy. There was joy. Even in spite of the sufferings of life. And this is where Christians have to grow to. That even in my suffering, in my disappointments of life, I can have joy in a personal relationship with the Lord. Let's go to Acts 13. Nope. Let's go to Romans 14 through 17. Our real need. Two more verses and I'm done. Romans 14 and verse 17. I want you to catch this because God brings it right to the real issue sometime in life of the bare necessities of life, of what it takes for us in life. And he brings it to us in this manner. Our real need. In verse 14, he comes to us and he says, let me get my eyes focused on this thing. As one who is in the Lord Jesus. Did I write it down wrong? Fourteen seventeen. I'm looking at the wrong... Here it is. Ah, I'm sorry. My eyes are going everywhere. I may have better take that medicine Elaine sent up here. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Catch that. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. When my father passed last March, and we found out this little thing in the throat wasn't working, 
he understood that we were basically was going to starve him by cutting off food and water. The heart was good. The kidneys were good. The liver was good. Everything was great other than this little area in the throat that separates water and food going into the lungs, down into the stomach. It wasn't working. So we stopped giving him any food, any drink. And when you would take that little sponge on that stick and dip it in water to hit his lips, boy, as much as he could, he would try it. And then he would have to start coughing because of the choking part. Because what is necessary for life, you can get through life. I know some of you don't think you can, but you can get through life without your cell phone. They, they, they. I know you think you can, but you can. They, they, they. You can get through life, and I know it's difficult. They, but you can get through life without having Michael Jordan shoes or Tommy's or, or, or the most expensive clothes to put on. You can get through life. And guess what? You can get through life without an automobile, without a car. Do you realize most of the world rides bicycles rather than drive cars? We can get through life. But what we can't get through life with is without eating and drinking. Two basic elements. Now what I want you to catch. Now he explains the two basic elements about the earthly man. He has to live on food and drink. But look what he says about the spiritual man who lives in the kingdom of God. He says, Boy, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you catch it? The kingdom of God, the spiritual person, is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. And the next fruit that we're going to look at next week that follows joy is peace. You can't function in ministry unless you have a peace of mind and a peace within. And, and he says it here. Righteousness. Why? In ministry, you got to do everything right. Everything got to be done right. It's expected to be done right. That doesn't mean you won't make a mistake. I've made a lot of mistakes in this 30-something years. But praise God that he's kept me up. But he says, righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom. That's the spiritual life by the Holy Spirit. He goes on, and let's take this last area so we, may, so we can close out. Is that 1 Thessalonians 1.6 In spite of suffering and severe suffering, we can have joy. It's never pleasant to see people in a state of lostness. 
It's never pleasant to see other people hurting. It's never pleasant. During marital counseling, there's this oxymoron that we talk about. Because one of the questions I ask by the second time we meet, explain to me how much you love him. Explain to me how much you love her. And then we start talking about all this love. Then the next question I pose is this. What are you basing that on? But that's how I feel. I believe I really love him. If you believe, we may, we may not need to be going through with marriage there. Do you only believe it and not knowing it, per se? And the point I try to get them to is to understand this. And I take it from Scripture that God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet his enemies. He died for us. You don't know how much you love somebody until you allow them to hurt you greatly. And you still love them. Now, ladies, I'm going to come at y'all for a moment. Y'all love them chilling so much, they can do anything. And y'all still embrace them and love them. They can cuss you out one day, but you still love them. That's my child. They can steal from That's my child. They can lie to you. That's my child. I love my child. I don't care what they do. They, you love them. But if that husband do one thing wrong, love him through it. <laughs> love him through it. And, and understand that. God is loving us through all kind of difficulties and problems. and things. He's loving us through it. Even when we turn our backs on Him, He's loving us through that time period. When we're not walking with Him, He's loving us through that time. Because, see, suffering is part of love. Suffering is part of love. And it shows how much you really love and care. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he simply says in this man, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. In spite of. Whatever those difficulties was, whatever those severe things were, whatever they were suffering, they were determined to imitate Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. You welcomed the message with joy. Even though you are suffering and you're going through this pain and you're going through this hurt, you still receive the message of God with much joy. You didn't allow your suffering, your pain, and your hurts to harden your heart. That I don't want to hear it. No, where is he? He didn't show up. Where, where's my help? Where's this at? No. 
you still had a joy for the things of the Lord. Even in your severe suffering. And he says, boy, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by who? The Holy Spirit. I will challenge you to go on through Scripture because we could be the next two months just on this word joy. But do that study for yourself. And allow God to speak to you. The joy. Joy can be in the worst circumstances and God can give you joy. And when you start rejoicing in the Lord, you're going to gather strength that you don't even know you have. And when you start rejoicing in the Lord, and Paul said, rejoice. How often? Always rejoice in the Lord. Constantly be rejoicing in the Lord. Why? When you're rejoicing in Him, you're recognizing His presence. He's giving you strength to go through whatever you're going through. And it gives you hope. And one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit... Oh, I ain't got a dime to my name. I go work hard all week and I ain't got nothing. Somebody always taking advantage of me. Somebody's always doing this to me. Somebody's always stealing from me. Somebody else. No. Lord, you bless me. They needed it more than me. Lord, you bless me. You opened this door for me. And I'm going to rejoice. Lord, you're doing this in my life. You're doing that in my life. And I'm going to have joy. The world did not give you the joy, and the world can't take it away. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have an unspeakable joy that is in you, that gives you a spring of hope, that gives you a spring of confidence and peace, and calls you in the most dire circumstances to still yet be a witness for him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you, O God, that, Lord, we have you as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for providing Jesus Christ on our behalf, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray as we go through these nine fruit of the Spirit,